0: Have you ever been to a courthouse or a law office and have seen that statue of Lady Justice? Well, these days, she's sporting a different look. Today, we'll talk about national justice, Disney's plummeting numbers, and the wildfires in Hawaii. Also, Knoxville has some important elections in early voting right now, so we'll talk about those as well. Plus, do Tennessee license plates show us anything about The spiritual condition of our county and state. We'll see. I'm Blake Watson, and this is We the Free. The majority of you are coffee drinkers, and maybe some of you even fancy yourselves coffee connoisseurs. Well, whether you're someone who likes to down a quick cup to get a caffeine dose, or you enjoy the art of crafting an excellent cup of joe, you've got to give my friends at Blackout Coffee a shot. They've got bags of ground or whole bean coffee or single-serve pods. They've got many different blends, flavors, and roasts. My personal favorite is Morning Reaper. It's one of their medium roasts. Use my code BLAKE23 for 20% off. That's B-L-A-K-E-2-3 for a discount and level up your morning cup with blackout coffee. We will get to your comments later in the show, but first. In courthouses all over the United States, stands a statue, either atop the building or emblazoned somewhere therein of a certain lady justice, which is something that dates all the way back to Greek mythology and beyond. Depending on where you see her, she might be dressed differently, but a few things remain the same. In one hand, she holds a sword, in the other, scales of justice, but perhaps the most important feature is that of her blindfold. Why is that? Because for thousands of years, practically every advanced civilization has believed that justice is blind or that it's unbiased. Justice doesn't care who a person is or what they look like or what office they hold. All that matters for Lady Justice is a just legal response, a balancing of the scales, and if necessary, swift and justified punishment. That's why she's holding that sword. Now, depending on who you ask in this country, it seems as though Lady Justice has removed her blindfold and she's stuck a pin to declare her uh, allegiance to a certain political party. And if you look close enough, you'll see that her sword is raised and ready to strike. But the scales are completely off balance.
1: Today, an indictment was unsealed, charging Donald J. Trump with felony violations of our national security laws, as well as participating in a conspiracy to obstruct justice. This indictment was voted by a grand jury of citizens in the Southern District of Florida. The men and women of the United States intelligence community and our armed forces dedicate their lives to protecting our nation and its people. Our laws that protect national defense information are critical to the safety and security of the United States, and they must be enforced. Violations of those laws put our country at risk. Adherence to the rule of law is a bedrock principle of the Department of Justice. And our nation's commitment to the rule of law sets an example for the world. We have one set of laws in this country and they apply to everyone.
0: That would be special counsel Jack Smith reading you the third indictment that President Trump has faced since he's been out of office. The first pertained to an indictment in New York where the charge was related to falsifying business records because during President Trump's campaign in 2016, there was apparently quote unquote hush money paid to an adult film actress, with whom the soon-to-be president had an alleged affair. That indictment was presented in March of this year, then a second indictment, this being the first federal indictment in regard to the classified documents, this was presented in June of this year, but I'll come back to that one in a moment. The third indictment came a couple of weeks ago about the insurrection, and we're getting more and more information out of Georgia in regard to a, the fourth indictment. Um, I don't think there's much substance to the third indictment, which relates to President Trump's actions on January 6th, 2021, because we've already had an extensive congressional investigation on the matter. Uh, there was an impeachment trial. Oh, and and the J6 committee, they just they conveniently deleted all of their files, but that's a, another story for a different day. Uh, We don't have time to get into all of the J6 matters today. I do believe that there is more substance to the indictments in Georgia, which we'll talk about uh, in the coming weeks. But thematically, I want to talk about uh, justice and the biblical response to all of this messiness. In regard to the initial indictment, if, if the charges and the accusations in the case are legit, then President Trump's campaign Uh, broke New York state law. And they'll have to face consequences for that, not to mention the injustice of his infidelity. But let's talk about the second indictment, because this is the one that's had the most discussion. It's been talked about more than any of the others. The official terminology is the mishandling of classified documents. What does that mean? Well, presidential records could be anything from letters, memos, to schedules, and emails, to pictures and video. Under the Presidential Records Act of 1978, the National Archives tells us, any records created or received by the president as part of his constitutional, statutory, or ceremonial duties are the property of the United States, the United States government, and will be managed by NARA, the National Archives, at the end of the administration. Under this act, which applies both to presidential and vice-presidential materials, the National Archives says, The official records of the president and his staff are owned by the United States, not by the president. To this point, they say, the archivist is required to take custody of these records when the president leaves office and to maintain them in a federal depository. However, after five years, some of the information is accessible to the public under the Freedom of Information Act, FOIA. Um, Why only some of it? Well, because certain information can be classified. Classified information is defined as information requiring protection against unauthorized disclosure in the interest of national defense and security or foreign relations of the United States pursuant to federal statute or executive order. These records are given different classifications, basically based on how damaging the divulging of the records would be. So if something is classified as top secret, let's say, it's considered by the classifying agency or the, whatever person classified it to be a great threat to the country if this information got out, if it was divulged. According to CNN, federal authorities have recovered more than 325 classified documents from Trump. He has voluntarily given back some materials, his lawyers turned over additional files after a subpoena, and the FBI found dozens of classified records during a court-approved search of his Mar-a-Lago home last summer. Now, this story goes back to right after President Trump left office. As I've already mentioned, the Presidential Records Act of 1978, which is a legal statute, this is something Congress passed, tells us, President Trump was supposed to turn in all of his records, basically in regards to his administration. Well, he obviously didn't comply with that, and since his departure from office, President Trump has resisted their efforts to obtain all of these records. So through the, all this process and, and back and forth, President Trump was slapped with an indictment of 37 federal charges. It was 31 counts of conspiracy to obstruct justice, five counts having to do with concealing, corrupting, or withholding of records, and then one count of false statements and representations. This case, and the others, will take a long time to parse out. And, of course, Trump and his team, they're going to fight every bit of it, every step of the way. But what are we as Christians to think about it? President Trump is alleging a few things. First, that he as president can declassify whatever he wants. Second, that he's doing what other presidents have done. And third, that this is all a political witch hunt. He is, every single day, perpetuating the idea that this is uh, President Biden, his administration, and the media trying to stop him from re-entering the Oval Office. But let's break some of this down. To the first point, President Obama issued an executive order in 2009 stating, The authority to classify information originally may be exercised only by the president and the vice president, agency heads, and officials designated by the president. Information shall be declassified or downgraded by the official who authorized the original classification. If that official is still serving in the same position and has original classification authority, that means President Trump would have only had the authority to declassify these records while he was in office. Now, given these various departments' reaction to these records, Trump took out the door, it's hard to tell who isn't telling the truth here? Is President Trump being dishonest about the declassifications, or are these various government agencies? Only the legal process will tell us. To the second point, President Trump is correct that he, he's doing what previous government employees have done. That's why the Justice Department investigated uh, Vice President Mike Pence and, and President Joe Biden for the same things. In Biden's case... Classified documents were found at his homes, plural, in both Delaware and Washington. And, and how can we forget the infamous email server that then Secretary of State Hillary Clinton had at her residence, storing classified information? Just, of course, susceptible to any sort of hacking or leaking. And we cannot forget how the, the evidence in that case with, with Hillary Clinton was, was destroyed. It was literally destroyed. That was all definite mishandling but of course that all resulted in nothing which brings me to the final point and kind of the point of this whole thing that there is an obvious double standard or as trump says a political witch hunt to destroy president trump in an unjust system unbalanced that has been the case since the man was campaigning for president there have been over 30 investigations including Uh, Over 10 now federal investigations, over uh, almost 9 or 10 state and local investigations, and 12 congressional investigations. Over 30. Some of these have been concluded. Of course, he was impeached twice in the Democrat-controlled House, but acquitted in the Senate. Nothing uh, that has been concluded has taken him out or uh, destroyed him is what seems the intent of all this. But... Several of these investigations persist, and you can just about bank on it. You can can guarantee that they will never end. They're just going to keep coming and coming and coming. The double standard of justice is obvious, especially when you consider Trump's first impeachment. He was impeached in the House of Representatives for abuse of power, which that language doesn't exist in the impeachment clause of the U.S. Constitution. All this for pressuring Ukrainian president, Vladimir Zelensky, to investigate Joe Biden, which at the time was Trump's political opponent. The representatives called this abuse of power and impeached him over it. But fast forward a couple of years, President Biden is in office now and is using his own Justice Department to investigate his very likely political opponent. But of course, in Biden's case, it can't possibly be abuse of power too, right? Well, Article 2, Section 4 of the Constitution says this, The President, Vice President, and all civil officers of the United States shall be removed from office on impeachment for and conviction of these things, treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. Now, in several constitutional matters, we're forced to speculate on the intent and meanings implied by the framers, Bribery is one of those terms as well as high crimes and misdemeanors, but treason is not. Article 3, section 3 seems to define said treason by, quote, treason against the United States shall consist only in levying war against them or in adhering to their enemies, talking about the United States' enemies, giving aid and comfort to them. High crimes and misdemeanors seems like a redundancy But there's clearly a distinction here. A a crime is something that is legally prohibited, and a criminal is a person who breaks the law. If law-breaking in high office was all the framers were concerned with, they could have just left the word misdemeanors out, but they didn't. The addition of the word misdemeanors tacks onto the impeachment qualifications instances of misbehavior or, or misdeeds. So Personally, I believe the framers included that language to give the people's representatives the authority to remove members of high office if their behavior has been unsatisfactory to the public. In fact, this very subject has been the basis for the inception of many impeachments in US history. So, just to recap these three things thus far. Treason, which is giving aid and comfort to our enemies against the United States, Uh, breaking the law, and misbehavior in high offices are three of the four impeachable offenses according to the Constitution. But the last one is bribery. Now let's see if we have a good example of that.
2: Um, I remember going over convincing our team, our <coughs> brothers to convincing us that we should be providing for loan guarantees. And I went over I guess the 12th, 13th time to Kiev, and uh, And I was going supposed to announce that there was another billion dollar loan guarantee. And I had gotten a commitment from Poroshenko and from, uh, Yatsenyuk that they would take action against the state prosecutor and they didn't. So they said they had, they walking out to press conference and I said, I'm not going to, we're not going to give you the billion dollars. They said, you have no authority. You're not the president. The president said, I said, call him. (laughs) I said, I'm telling you, you're not getting the billion dollars. I said, you're not getting the billion, I'm going to be leaving here, and I think it was, what, six hours? I looked, I said, I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. Well, son of a (laughs) got fired. And they put in place someone who was solid.
0: A bribe is money or favor given or promised in order to influence the judgment or conduct of a person in a position of trust. A more general but Latin phrase would be quid pro quo, remember that one, which means something given or received for something else. This was the technical charge placed around Donald Trump's neck in 2019, and this was based on a transcription of his phone call with Zelensky. which was The, the whole phone call was about the Biden family corruption, which we're seeing more and more information on each day. President Trump was and continues to be punished for this very crime and misdemeanor while President Biden is facing none. None. Regardless of the unfairness and the obvious targeting and the lack of just justness across the board, President Trump has broken the law and state laws and federal laws. And in this case, and in the case of the second indictment, He's not been cooperative to rectify that, which is why he's being charged with more obstruction charges. As Christians, we should be the best of legal citizens until or if some authority is demanding we be disobedient to our ultimate authority. In that sense of the case, the just thing would be for Trump to face the consequences of the injustice he's committed But it should be the same for President Biden. Lady Justice is supposed to be blind to party affiliation, not partisan. But I'm only saying this if the allegations are true. The law states that any records pertaining to the business of the administration have to be turned over to the National Archives. That's one thing. But several people, several, have not followed those rules. Trump says he declassified things, but we don't know if that's true at this point. If we discover otherwise, I promise you I will alter my position, of course. However, another legal angle that they can throw at him, this is what I I meant when I said earlier, the the Department of Justice will will have against him is that of Trump violating the Espionage Act, which is uh, the gathering, transmitting, or losing of defense information. So. Right now, there's a lot of uh, Republicans and conservatives that are using this situation to say, we've got to move on from Trump. It's, it's, it's time to move on. This is a lost cause. We, we, we need to, to move on from Donald Trump. And to that, I would just simply ask, do you think they're not going to go after the next guy? Well, let's say Ron DeSantis becomes the Republican nominee. Do you think, do you honestly think they're not going to give him the Trump treatment. Of course they will. Therefore, we as Christians must stand for justness, justice. The biblical prescription for government is to punish evil and reward good, to establish law and order for the good of the people, in other words, a system of justice. Trump's seeming actions in these cases are unjust, but so are the injustices being perpetrated by these various departments of justice. It seems even more obvious when you see the court dates. Isn't it odd that they've waited over two years to bring these indictments? Isn't it odd that these cases are so far scheduled for trial in March and May of 2024, just half a year before the election? Why does the current president have confidential documents in his possession in two different states? Can... Biden be impeached for things he did as vice president in the Obama administration? What other forms of injustice do we see in our country? Because I'm only talking about this injustice at the top. If the scales are this unbalanced at the very top, what is stopping Lady Justice from swinging her sword at everyday common people? Now, let's get to some other national news. Other than the constant news involving President Trump, the highest trending topic is that of these wildfires in the state of Hawaii. At this point, the wildfires which began on August 8th, that was 9 days ago, have claimed the lives of nearly 100 people, even though there's hundreds more missing. Uh, It's destroyed about 1,000 buildings, it's affected over 2,800 acres, not to mention it's displaced about 11,000 people. These are American lives we're talking about. And not to equate property value to human lives, but the wildfires have have also caused about $6 billion in damage. Several media outlets are reporting that these fires are the deadliest the the U.S. has seen in more than a century. The details um, are honestly horrifying, so I'm not going to go into great detail because this show is not going to propagate... Uh, fear porn, uh, but no one knows the origin of the fires yet, and it's possible that we'll, we'll never know. Of course, the theories abound at this point. I've seen people talking about uh, laser-equipped weapons, another attack uh, from China, uh, non-native plant life, temperatures and high winds, and of course, you guessed it, climate change. Now, it's this last theory that we usually here immediately. As soon as some natural disaster occurs, whether that be hurricanes, earthquakes, tornadoes, uh, volcanic eruptions, or wildfires, liberals, the media, and scientific quote-unquote experts seize the opportunity to give credence to man-made climate change. When anything involving nature destroys lives and property. The media will arrange a conga line of guests to blame Republicans, conservatives, and some would even go so far to suggest that Trump voters are to blame for these natural occurrences, as if to imply the usage of, of fossil fuels or carbon emissions motivate the rumblings and eruptions and winds and rains of what they used to call Mother Earth. But for whatever reason, uh, that isn't the case this time around. In fact, it took President Biden nearly a week to say anything about the situation at all. While he was vacationing on a beach in Delaware, Americans were being burnt to death in Hawaii. And when he was first asked about it, this is what happened. President, any comments on the Biden death toll now?
1: Will you come talk about the Hawaii response, Mr. President?
0: No, no comment, says the President of the United States. Nothing like our thoughts and prayers are with the people and families of Hawaii, and never mind the fact that it took him a week to say anything. Many Americans are juxtaposing the words and response of Ukraine to that of Hawaii, and, and they're rightly asking questions like, why are we quick uh, and, and enduring and su- supporting Ukraine with? thoughts and prayers and resources, etc., but when it comes to our own people, we're dragging our feet and we're virtually silent. We'll talk more about Ukraine later, but that's just one example of the disparity Americans feel. So the president's response was a week later. Eventually, he he finally said something, albeit in tweets, saying, As residents of Hawaii mourn the loss of life and devastation taking place across their beautiful home, we mourn with them. Like I've said, not only are our prayers with those impacted, but every asset we have will be available to them. Other than that, there was a thread of tweets outlining what FEMA would do and other local actions that were already underway. Now, here's my point, nothing about climate change. Biden has been the most activist president in regard to climate. And to underscore my previous point, these politicians and media figures are ever ready to pounce on natural disasters to make their point. So why isn't that happening here? It even took Senator Orono five days to say this.
1: Experts warn that, that extreme disasters such as this one are only becoming more common because climate change is fueling mm-hmm. stronger storms, hotter temperatures, yeah. more widespread droughts. And earlier this week, President Biden incorrectly claimed he had already declared a climate emergency which would give him additional powers to combat the climate crisis given what you're seeing on the ground do you want president biden to actually declare a climate emergency
0: i think that we uh, we very, very much need to acknowledge that climate change is upon us there are whole states by the way jake where you can't even the use the words climate change because they still have a hit in the sand attitude but for example The Inflation Reduction Act provided some $300 billion to combat climate change and and to uh, move us away from continuing reliance on fossil fuels. Yes, there is more that needs to be done and there will be lessons learned from uh, this ongoing tragedy for the other counties as well as the county of Maui. Uh, Quick question, do you live in a state where you're not allowed to say the words climate change? if so i'm, I'm sorry if, if playing this video just got you into some sort of trouble um, although I, I think that you could make a pretty compelling free speech case in court anyway the weirdness of this event is that the usual climate activists were very slow to start making their claims um, i don't have an answer as to why that is but i can hear the the conspiracy theorists right now shouting their galactic reasons and i must say I'm not saying that you're wrong, uh, because the scoreboard on the conspiracies lately has been quite victorious, especially in the last few years with COVID, vaccines, masking, Trump collusion, Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, social distancing, on and on and on. But what about this claim to climate change, formerly known as global warming, formerly known as global freezing? Two things. First. The Hawaii Wildfire Management Organization says that each year about 0.5%, so half of a percent of Hawaii's total land area burns each year, equal to or greater than the proportion burned in any other U.S. state. Over 98% of wildfires are human-caused. The USA Today reported that wildfires have quadrupled in Hawaii in recent decades. And many scientists say the culprit is unmanaged, non-native grasslands planted by plantations and ranchers and other, others unfamiliar with the island's native ecosystems. The grass is dry and prone to fires. Major General Kenneth Hara, commander of the Hawaii Army National Guard, said last week, We don't know what actually ignited the fires, but we were made aware in advance by the National Weather Service that we were in a red flag situation which he explains as dry conditions for a long time. Everything was dry. So, it's hot in Hawaii. In fact, August is among the hottest months of the year there. Wildfires have quadrupled. They have gone a while without substantial rain. Everything is dry. Let's see here. What else can we add to make this plausible? What if there was a hurricane? Wait. There was one. USA Today reported Hurricane Dora, a category four storm in the Pacific Ocean, fueled the strong winds overnight in Maui with gusts of 60 miles per hour damaging homes and knocking out power. Seems like the perfect storm, no pun intended, but uh, for something as disastrous as this to happen. But secondly, the Apostle Paul wrote many centuries ago that. The anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. That's from Romans chapter 8, with Paul describing the brokenness of the world and the effects of man's sin on the earth. So just as we suffer from the ruins of human nature and we groan in the misery of that, so does the earth. If Eden was paradise or a world without disorder, you know, earthquakes, hurricanes, and wildfires before the fall of man, it has since become disorderly, giving way to such destructive forces of nature. In other words, we don't cause these hurricanes and wildfires by driving our SUVs but because of our sin. So just as we await the Lord's ultimate deliverance from our fallen flesh, the earth awaits its redemption as well. Now in other news, do you have Disney Plus? Well, I hate to tell you, but your monthly bill is about to go up by a few dollars in a 27% increase that Bob Iger announced last week. Disney also possesses Hulu, which will also see a $3 price increase at 20%. Morningstar reported, Disney Plus ended the quarter with just over 146 million subscribers as it lost 11.7 million net customers globally in the quarter. That's hundreds of millions of dollars, but let's see, how, how is Disney doing elsewhere? Reuters reports that their television business continued its decline Disney Parks had lower operating income at its domestic parks due to decreases at Walt Disney World Resort in Orlando, Florida. Content sales and licensing, the unit that includes film and television sales, reported a a deeper operating loss of $243 million in the quarter, as some movies disappointed. What could have possibly caused these losses for Disney? You know, the the now century-old company who has entertained numerous generations across the globe, the the global juggernaut and and business behemoth who possesses such companies and franchises as, it's just a few, uh, Marvel, 20th Century Fox, FX, Fox Sports, National Geographic, Hulu, Pixar, Touchstone, ABC, History Channel, Lifetime, ESPN, Star Wars, and GoPro, just, just to name a few. So what in the world happened here? How can it be that such a monopolistic company loses tens of millions of subscribers from its streaming platforms? Loses millions of dollars in its films and television shows and channels? Well, let's see. Maybe this has something to do with it.
1: The showrunners were super welcoming. Meredith Roberts and, like, our leadership
0: over there has been so welcoming to, like, my like not at all secret gay agenda and so like i i feel like i felt like it was i mean like maybe it was that way in the past but i guess like something must have happened in the last like like they are turning it around they're going hard and then all that like momentum that i felt like that sense of i don't have to be afraid to like Let's have these two characters kiss. Let's in the background this are, like I was just wherever I could, just basically adding queerness to like the, if you see anything queer, in the show' I'm proud of them. But like I, I just was like, no one would stop me, and no one was trying to stop me. That was from a cyber meeting with a lot of Disney employees, including this woman, Latoya Raveno, an executive producer for Disney, who was clearly given a green light to add queerness, as she says, to much of uh, Disney's programming. Now, this was a specific response to Governor Ron DeSantis' parental rights bill, which liberals called the Don't Say Gay Bill. In actuality, it prevented Florida public school teachers and staff from talking about gender identity and sexuality until after third grade. So, this was in 2022. It was just last year. But Disney has been wading into the waters of political ideology for years. I mean, I'm old enough to remember the the hidden sexuality in projects like The Rescuers and The Little Mermaid and The Lion King, but how about other progressive ideologies in recent years? In racial ideology, they rebooted The Proud Family, which is basically, it's the 1619 project in cartoon form as they talk about America's foundation on slavery and white male patriarchy and the works. Uh, The Little Mermaid remake, of course, changed the main character's complexion altogether, as is the case with the upcoming Snow White remake, even though Snow White is literally an old German tale referencing the girl's skin color. Uh, Not to mention, the dwarves in that movie have been recast as magical creatures of all shapes, colors, sizes, and probably gender identities, if I'm guessing. And also, ESPN is basically CNN with basketballs. Now, the sexual ideology is extensive, so I'll run through them as fast as I can here. Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker shows a lesbian kiss at the end of the film. Thor Love and Thunder showed Valkyrie as a bisexual character who refers to herself as King of Asgard. While Korg in that movie was also revealed to be gay. Onward included Disney's first openly gay character, a lesbian police officer slash unicorn. Lightyear, the Toy Story spin-off, showed the most blatant representation of all, including a lesbian kiss that couldn't be missed. Jungle Cruise featured a gay character. Disney announced that LeFou in the Beauty and the Beast remake was a gay character. Avengers Endgame, the highest grossing movie of all time. One of the directors, Joe Russo, he plays a grieving husband who has just lost his husband after Thanos' snap. Toy Story 4 shows two mothers dropping off their child at daycare. Uh, Cruella included a short inclusion of a gay character named Artie strange world features featured disney's first openly gay teen character ethan who can be seen acting shy around his crutch crush which is a boy Uh, marvel revealed that loki is bisexual and gender fluid in the marvel's eternals movie one of the eternals is named fastos or facedos has a husband and children uh deadpool 2 shows a lesbian couple Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness includes the character America Chavez who is queer and her lesbian moms as a part of that story. And finally, Marvel's Jessica Jones series on Netflix included lesbian attorney Jerry Hogarth who divorces her wife in the first season and hires female prostitutes in the second season. Now, I'm sure that there's more, but that's just 20 examples of Disney's venture into wokeness in the last eight years. Now, I'm not going to delve into these topics on homosexuality and race today, but there's one point I think most of us can agree on. Though genuine Christians oppose any form of sexuality outside of that between a husband and a wife in a marital union, your stories for children and families aren't supposed to be a canvas for politics. I mean, we're here to see a movie, not a message. If you'll stop using your various platforms as a bullhorn for one political movement, I guarantee that your business will return. People, in general, Christian and non-Christian, don't come to your movies or watch your TV shows or visit your parks to be preached at. They want to be entertained. They want to have fun. And to be honest, they're trying to get away from the madness of which you're now a proponent. When you make these projects about ideology, the story inevitably suffers. It is inevitable because you can't have both. The stories of Disney used to take our collective breaths away, entertaining us for for years. It's it's the stuff we grew up with. Cinderella, Beauty and the Beast, uh, The Mighty Ducks, Remember the Titans, Mary Poppins, Old Yeller. The Jungle Book, Pocahontas, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, Cars even, Hercules, etc. In the company's um, most recent quarterly earnings call, CEO Bob Iger said, There have been some disappointments. We would have liked some of our more recent releases to perform better. The only problem is that he goes on to blame their box office bombs on too much streaming content. So for now, just keep canceling your subscriptions and maybe one day, Disney will finally get the picture. Now let's get to some local news. You probably need some roof repairs. If you feel that water dripping every time it rains or those shingles are starting to look bad, Trust me, the sooner you act, the better. So call my friends over at Turner Exteriors for an estimate on your roof today. If you tell them Blake sent you, they'll give you $500 off your new roof, $500. I know the guys and gals over at Turner Exteriors. They do great work. You will love the new life they bring to your home. The city of Knoxville has an important election coming up as we'll vote to choose the Knoxville mayor, city council representatives, and a municipal judge. Yes, this is the primaries because the general election is on November 7th, but Knoxvilleans can vote today as an early primary voter because voting opened last week, but the official primary date is at the end of the month on August 29th. Now, Knoxville has an odd catch. If mayoral candidates, or any of these other positions, get 50% of the ballots cast, plus one, the race is officially over and decided, and doesn't even go to a general. That means that all of these positions, like mayor, could be decided this month. If none of the candidates get to that point, then the top two contenders go to the general election And that's what voters can decide right now. I'm going to give you a breakdown of the candidates and give you my recommendations on who you should vote for as a Christ follower living in Knoxville. So, we'll begin with the city mayoral candidates. Uh, The incumbent mayor uh, seeking her final term is India Kincannon, who is facing three challengers, Constance M. Every, R.C. Lawhorn, and Jeff Tallman. So first up, the incumbent mayor, India Kincannon. She raised taxes during her first term. Knox News reported Kincannon saying, I proposed and pushed for a tax increase so we could pay our essential workers fair market wages so they wouldn't leave to other jobs and leave us high and dry without people to pick up our trash and pave our potholes and answer the call when people have emergencies. Under her leadership, the city pledged $50 million to affordable housing over the next 10 years, and she wants to do more. Specifically, she has a policy about missing middle housing, which is a push for duplexes and multiplexes, which she's trying to accomplish through an alteration of zoning and and land use policies. The city is in the process also of upgrading all of the city buses to electric. Of course, this is on the public dime, but that shows you some of her climate positions. She feels she has stood up for love, as she says, in regard to the LGBTQ community. But there's one thing that has gotten her into some hot water. She hired a new police chief, Paul Noel, last year by contracting with a third-party company, which led to this outside hire from New Orleans. Uh, to many people in Knoxville and, and media outlets, this was kind of a shady process of hiring someone for a public office because Cannon argued that using an outside search party exempted things from open records laws. There are literally current lawsuits over this issue, and you'll see what the other candidates think about it. Next is Constance Every. She may be a Knoxville native and has formerly served in the U.S. Army for 15 years, but Miss Every is the most liberal candidate on the list. She wants to emulate the Green New Deal in Knoxville, saying, The Green New Deal is a forward approach to a, a blueprint for Tennessee to provide jobs and business development and fix failing infrastructure. Actually, it would kill jobs in business, which is the whole point. Um, she somehow believes we're in our third year of the COVID pandemic, and that racism in the medicine and healthcare industries are a leading cause of health disparities. She supports defunding and reallocating funds for the police department and also removing militaristic gear from the department. She wants to legalize marijuana. She identifies as a lesbian. She supports bans on sales of military-grade firearms, and by that she means guns that look like military-grade firearms because no citizen has military-grade firearms. At least she didn't say assault weapons. She supports student loan forgiveness. In all caps on her website, she wrote, NO POLICE IN OUR SCHOOLS! REPLACED WITH MENTAL, SOCIAL, CLINICAL PROFESSIONALS, AND UNARMED SECURITY CONTRACTORS. She believes housing is a human right. She supports Racial equity, which is different from equality. She wants to abolish ICE in Tennessee. She perpetuates this idea of white supremacy. She wants to amend the city's zoning policies to unbridle affordable housing. She wants to raise property taxes. And finally, she says, Knoxville needs to move away from its partnerships with organizations such as Salvation Army and CARM to more grassroots groups like East Tennessee Harm Reduction. That organization was created just last year and, and only connects you to other organiza- organizations which would charge for patient use, so probably not a, a great option for the homeless, but anyways. Our next candidate is R.C. Lawhorn, a local businessman who supports zero lot line housing. That's Uh, cramming as many living spaces onto a lot space as possible, like literally up to the property line. Um, He wants to keep the trolley buses that we have and, and build a new bus station. He thinks we should hold off on buying electric buses until costs come down. In treating the homeless problem, Lawhorn said just one location is needed and that more affordable housing, including tiny houses, would help. Lawhorn says the city needs a better understanding of the LGBTQ community and a respect for people's rights. Are Knoxvilleans misunderstanding LGBTQ people? How are their rights being disrespected? Who knows? He wants a forensic audit on the city's budget, tax breaks for larger businesses and developers, uh, lower property taxes, and equitable schools. There's that word again, equitable. Uh, Lawhorn wants housing developers to build smaller, denser apartments, duplexes and multiplexes. As far as the the police department goes, he wants locals, locals to occupy those positions. Then last and most certainly not least is Jeff Tallman. Mr. Tallman is a former mortgage banker in Knoxville who is running for mayor because he doesn't like the direction of the country, or the city. He's focused on unity, safety, and prosperity. He's tired of what he calls the manufactured outrage. For example, he he says, don't focus on problems, seize opportunities. Like on the subject of affordable housing, he wants to redevelop unused city properties. That is seizing an opportunity. He wants to keep Knoxville from becoming like other progressive cities, which is the complete opposite vision of Miss Every. He wants to lower taxes. He believes that addressing violence in the city must be proactive instead of reactive. All of the other candidates have reactive solutions. He wants to take proactive, preventative measures, like working with families, reaching young people, and building trust between communities and police. He doesn't have a huge problem with Kincannon's handling of the police chief hire, but his point is basically, like, what's the big secret? I particularly love how he describes a future Knoxville as a city that inspires the world. It's a world leader. But finally, Tallman offers probably the most coherent position on on homelessness. He says there's a variety of circumstances there are people who are in a pinch because they got behind financially. And then on the far end of the spectrum, you've got people who I think choose homelessness. They choose the street. He also said it's a little unrealistic to think these people are just an available house away from being a great candidate to being homeowners. He added there is of course a need for psychiatric facilities to treat those with mental health issues. But those are your four candidates. It's unbelievable when you consider the stark contrast between the four as they're like four points on a political spectrum. You've got Miss Every as, as far left as they come in America, then Mayor uh then businessman Lawhorn, and then Jeff Tallman on the right. It should be pretty obvious who I endorse for mayor, but if I had to guess, I would say... Knoxville isn't quite uh, liberal or woke enough for Miss Every. Um, Kincannon hasn't done a a terrible job, and and Lawhorn just isn't exciting enough. So I would say the primaries will send Cannon and Tallman to the general in November. Uh, But because of the rules, I would implore you. To to go this week to vote for Jeff Tallman, who is obviously the most conservative option. Although I would like somebody that's even more conservative than him. Moving on uh, on city council seat A, Darren Warsham is a 50-year-old welder with experience in construction, auto repair, and trucking. He is the best option with the best views uh, over incumbent Lynn Fugate for seat B. R. Bentley Marlowe is the best option, and there's no incumbent in that race. And then for seat C, I think Tim Hill is a strong choice, although the incumbent member, Amelia Parker, is is a good second choice. As far as the municipal judge position, Judge Rawson has this in the bag. He's been on the bench for 36 years. I've been in his courtroom, and I think he's a good judge. So if you live within the city limits, go vote today. Before we get to your comments, I've got one more news story about Tennessee license plates. The new blue and white plates, which were introduced a couple years ago following the Green Plate series, they come in two basic forms. One is a standard license plate, but the other option includes the phrase, in God we trust. Now, apparently this idea was introduced back in the Green Plate series, and uh, Knox News is reporting that there's almost 8% more in God We Trust plates driving around the state since last year. Growth is good news, right? Well, of course it's good to hear that more drivers are sporting those plates, in that phrase. But the bad news is that just over 29% of Knox County vehicles have those tags. Just over 29%. Here are the actual numbers in Knox County. In 2022, There were 104,720 in God We Trust license plates, but 251,537 plates without. The Tennessean also reported on this subject, and they even ranked which counties in Tennessee had the least and most in God We Trust license plates. Benton County in western Tennessee, 97% of its license plates are in God We Trust while Fentress, Overton, and Van Buren counties are all at 96% in Middle Eastern Tennessee. Now, which counties have the fewest percentage of In God We Trust plates? You can probably guess which ones, but here they are. The top five, or the bottom five, depending on which way you look at it, Washington County is at 44%, Uh, Shelby County, which is where Memphis is, is at 31%, Then Knox County has the third, uh, fewest at 29%. Bedford County in Middle Tennessee has 27%. And then, of course, Davidson County, where we have Nashville and our state capital, has the fewest, in God we trust, license plates at 21%. Now, some people said they weren't even given a choice when they renewed. But when my wife and I renewed our plates, it it was simply a box you had to check. Honestly, I feel like if it was important enough to people, they would see to it that their license plate said, in God we trust. But I bring up the story because I think it's indicative of the condition of the church. As Christians continue to live lives that are identical to non-Christians, what motivation would the secular culture have to follow Jesus? It's another sign of the prolonged failure of the church to properly disciple and evangelize. But thanks to places like Benton, and Fentress, and Overton counties, Tennessee isn't a bad place to live. Now, let's get to your comments. In the episodes that follow, I'll be responding to comments in the following episodes. Eventually, there'll be live responses. But since this is our first full-length episode, I posted something on my Facebook page, and you all gave plenty of comments to respond to for today. I posted a question that simply asked, What is the biggest problem in America? Well, you all gave about 50 different answers. Jesse said, God has been taken out of everything. Schools, sporting events, speech, etc. I think Jesse is referring to prayer and, sort of, Christianity largely being removed and eradicated from public schools and sporting events, and when she says speech, she's talking about the suppression of Christian voices, which I, as a Christian in media, can definitely attest to. This isn't the case in all places, but there are still Christian organizations and prayer in schools but it has to be led by the students. It has to be. A teacher or administrator couldn't do so. However, there are some special places that have convinced the powers that be to teach the Bible as some sort of history course. Talk about a loophole. But Jesse, all of the removal you feel is is based on what you hear politicians call separation of, of church and state, which I'll talk about in the coming weeks. But this has happened Because Christians have allowed it to happen. Brandon said, Hearts without God, homes without discipline, and schools without prayer. That's a great answer, and I couldn't agree more. Andrick said, The biggest problem I see isn't politics or our lack of God, but on the contrary. The biggest problem is that we as a whole haven't figured out how to embrace each other's differences without it leading to war." Andrick, I would say everyone's biggest problem, whether they're in America or not, is their lack of God. That's literally the worst problem you could ever have. But to your point, there used to be a time when people could just simply agree to disagree and life could go on as normal. But those days are gone. And and they're not coming back until somebody, someone is victorious. You use the word war, and and really that is the perfect word because we are fighting for life and culture and eternal life and family and marriage and safety and for the preservation of all that is good. Like, let's, let's use a modern issue as an example. Let's say that you support a parent's right, quote unquote, to physically or chemically castrate their children. Or... You wish to do so yourself, while my position is that doing that sort of thing is child abuse. Embracing each other's differences is impossible. Let's say you think that that thing inside of a mother's womb is just a clump of flesh, but I believe it's a living person. Embracing each other's differences is impossible. We are at a boiling point, culturally, where the boiling will not cease until someone loses. Ironically, the lack of love and respect for the Lord is the very reason why we're at this point. Leanne said, The toleration and indulgence of evil and self-absorbed narcissism, all in the virtue-signaling name of inclusivity and love. That is a great comment, and unfortunately one that most people are not ready to hear. But she's right that narcissism narcissism is the, the underlying factor in much of our issues, culturally speaking. I mean, this is what love yourself and, and follow your heart has become. It's, it's what is fueling divorce, addictions, and the entire sexual identity movement. It's even fueling racial discrimination. All of it is kind of perfectly summed up in the word pride, and the only way for narcissism and the abundant selfishness that we see to be defeated is for people to follow the example of the selfless Christ, to become Christian. Neyland said the biggest problem in America is more buckies. (laughs) And, And this is going to be an unpopular opinion, but I think that Bucky's is way overhyped. I, I don't think that they are what's wrong with America, but I think people need to calm down about the world's largest gas stations. <laughs> Micah said, left lane non passers. Um, that is definitely a problem, especially when you're in a hurry, so I can see that. Eric said, people who dress without one thought of using a mirror. And he also said, folks who ignore the spandex weight limit warning. All right, Eric, thank you. Uh, Courtney said confirmation bias. People look for information that confirms their existing opinions and beliefs rather than considering all the facts and evidence. That's certainly a bigger problem now than ever because of the Internet. People have access to information with more ease than ever. But people do this with their Christianity as well. They look for something in the Bible to validate a poor decision or a poor choice they've made or a bad theological position they hold. Um, There was also in the comments one comment about aliens (laughs) that I can assure you we don't have time for today. But I want you all to let me know if this is something that you want me to talk about in the future. Just let me know in the comments. Well. That's going to do it for me. What will it be next time? We'll see. For now, go and be the salt and light you were meant to be, and we will see you next time on We The Fruit.